Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, we will be talking with Nick Allen, who is the Director of Quality Control and Product Development at BAMCOR. But first, I just want to take a quick step back and talk about conventional wood construction for those of our listeners that are maybe not as familiar with it. So typically, a wood-constructed wall will have 2x4s or 2x6s that are spaced at about 16 inches on center. There's typically a bottom plate and a double top plate and a OSB wood-sheathed wall on the outside and a gypsum wallboard or drywall on the inside. So all of these pieces go together to make a system that is used for lateral strength and vertical load-bearing strength. So the cool thing about BAMCOR's prime wall system is that it replaces kind of this conventionally constructed wall. So BAMCOR is actually constructed out of timber bamboo and it's an outside face and an inside face panel of bamboo. And then it's actually a studless system. So that interior plenum is actually a void space for mechanical and electrical so that you don't have to cut through studs for these systems. And it also creates that air or insulation space to protect the inside condition spaces from the exterior elements. So Bamboo can actually grow up to three feet per day. And when you cut it, it actually stimulates regrowth. So it's a great sustainable system, a sustainable product. It's actually very strong as well. And by putting it in those outside and inside panels, it draws that strength to where it's needed without adding extra weight. So 
That's a really cool system, very sustainable. And I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation with Nick where we talk about the prime wall system and how it was incorporated into a project. And the other really cool thing is that BAMCOR is working on some other things. So mass timber is such a big deal right now. You know, there's a lot of implementation, especially in the US. It seems like in Europe, it's been popular for a while. It's finally catching on here in the Midwest and in the US. So BAMCOR actually has some of their bamboo products that they're working into kind of mass timber elements and pieces so that they can span further and create, you know, a more efficient system. So that was really cool to kind of dig into that a little bit. But I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Nick Allen. We're going to talk about the Concord Homes Project in Utah, which is, I believe, the River Run Project. Is that right? Yeah, that's the the floor plan that we're going to talk about. Yeah, where they repeated that floor plan on a few projects. Gotcha. Okay, so this is like a townhome project that is probably similar construction over and over. Is that a correct assessment? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. All right. So Nick, if you could maybe start off with describing what the BAMCOR system is or what your wall system is. Sure. So I'm a professional engineer as well, and I started off in residential building design mostly, some larger projects like schools and hospitals, but mostly residential wood design. And so I started with BAMCOR about five years ago and really worked on making the product easier to design and build and work more similarly to a wood frame building, where there used to be some metal connections that were not, that were kind of uh, specialized and not common. And we switched everything over to a wood bottom plate and top plate. And the system itself is two parallel panels with an almost hollow cavity between the two panels so that you can add a lot of insulation and have a very small framing factor. And in California, that means in residential design, you can get away from rigid insulation around the outside of a building. So that's, that's kind of a, a large selling point up front. And then there's some framing between the two sides to add a little bit of extra stiffness and tie the two panels together. And there's bucking wood blocking around the windows and doors. That's kind of the, the broad summary of the wall system. It's two one and a quarter inch thick panels and it utilizes bamboo for a lot of its stiffness and strength characteristics to be able to use such a thin, a thin panel. And then those are both load bearing and shear. So you're replacing your studs and your sheathing and sometimes your gypsum with that wall assembly. Okay, and am I correct in understanding that this wall system can fit, so like your sill plates that you're talking about, it can fit within kind of a, a standard two by four stud wall or two by six stud wall? Yeah. Okay. The cavity between the two panels is tested with two by six lumber. So it's generally a two by six cavity with a two by six bottom plate and top plate. So all of the connections to so the, the foundation and framing below would be the same as a normal wood built building and same with the roof connections above, but you don't have the studs between the two plates. You're relying on the panels for the, the vertical load bearing part of that. Okay. So you said that there's some like minimal connections between the two, right? So that you are able to get group action between the two sides, correct? Correct. Yeah. We have a product report, which has a 17065 accredited body and ISO 17065 accredited body producing that report which is the same accreditation you'd have for ICCES or IATMO type reports. And in that we have the different blocking scenarios between the two panels, mm -hmm. which have, there's, there's two right now. 
So either half height blocks every eight feet, which have one vertical capacity and one transverse stiffness, or 70% height blocks at every four feet, which have a better vertical capacity and transverse stiffness. And those are tested and full-size tests because there's some composite action added from the nailing and the blocking, not just um, addition of the parts. Gotcha. So that blocking can be determined based on what's required from a load capacity standpoint, correct? Right. Awesome. Okay. So you kind of alluded to this, but this system, this wall system, it's panelized, correct? Correct. So something that is created in the shop and then shipped out and able to easily be constructed on site? Yeah. So we sell two specific projects and work with the contractor and architect and engineer and kind of help them through the design. And a lot of times we'll go to the site on the first project with the new contractor to to help train the crew on how to assemble them, put them up, and making sure they're using the correct nail sizes and and don't have any large questions that could cause a delay in the first project. So we're, we're selling a specific project. We make a BIM model in Revit, and we do all of our shop drawings through Revit. Basically, we start with either a Revit model from the architect, or we'll create the Revit model ourselves and make sure there's no conflicts between the architect and engineering drawings. And then we'll, we'll panelize it, we'll mark all of the lumber and nail patterns in the project, and we'll usually also put in, I should say we have a custom CNC machine that can also paint on the panels, which is fairly unique to us. So we'll also paint a lot of the electrical and plumbing information and get that figured out ahead of time. We're a little bit different than some other prefabricated systems where we're not assembling whole wall lines in the factory. We're cutting individual panels and sending them out as a flat pack pallet, and then they go up on site and and are fastened on site. Okay, so each panel is what, like six feet wide by the plate height tall, the story tall? Yeah, yeah. Right now we're limited to a 10-foot tall panel because that's the size of our current press. In the future, we're going to work on end jointing panels, like finger jointing or scarf jointing panels to get to longer lengths. And we have uh, four foot widths. Okay. So four foot by 10 foot and one and a quarter inch thick. So a 10 foot panel is about 170 or 180 pounds. Gotcha. And then one one or two people can install those. Okay. Super cool. So like for the River Run project, how much time do you think was gained by going with the BAMCOR system versus a traditional stick built? And just for the listener, so these are two story townhome type of buildings. Yeah. And on those projects, that was a new customer who hadn't used us before. So they wanted to do a couple of pilot projects first. So we actually did the garage for the builder ahead of time, just a small garage. And then also a three-story house. It was a two-story with a basement, but part of the basement was exposed. So we had some of our wall lines were three stories tall. So we, we did those two projects first as kind of a test case, and he liked the system. And then we started designing the townhouse projects. And I believe we've done four of those, if I remember correctly. And for the time savings, on the walls themselves, on the framing themselves, I think they were able to get an entire building up in about a week for the the walls. And that's replacing the sheathing. And I think they, they eliminate some of the gypsum on those projects as well for the first floor. And I believe they're saying it would take closer to three weeks with the stud built system, putting in all the studs, cutting the sheathing, and, and doing the drywall. 
And then on top of that, because we have a almost hollow wall cavity, there's some time savings in plumbing and electrical as well, because they can just pull it through the walls without having to drill a lot of holes and studs. Okay, awesome. So it cuts down in how much time it takes to build. Yeah. I think one of the other things is the thermal transfer, right? Because sometimes those wood studs between the two layers of inside sheathing and outside sheathing kind of creates a thermal area for heat transfer. So but with your system, you're able to kind of have insulation throughout and not have those studs interrupting, correct? Yeah. So wood has an R value of about one per inch. And insulation, like if you're using fiberglass insulation, it's a little over four per inch. So whenever you can replace more of the framing with more insulation, you're helping helping the building out quite a bit. And I don't believe they downsized any of their heating and cooling units on these projects, but they think they probably could have. So they, they think they probably could have reduced their HVAC sizes because of the better insulation. And then also, since we're a prefab system, all of our windows and doors are cut in the factory with really tight tolerances for the rough opening. So it's a lot easier to air seal around the building as well. And we think there's some inherent air sealing benefits. And that's, that's kind of a big factor in your overall building efficiency. Yeah, for sure. I could totally see that. And you also don't have the need for trimmer studs and king studs, right? Because it's all part of the panel. Yeah, we still have wood around the openings themselves. So you have the equivalent of like a trim stud. Okay. But yeah, you don't usually don't need a king stud. We don't have wood framed headers in the walls most of the time because we turn our panels on edge and they can act as a header over openings. So there's a header in the same plane as the panels. You're not adding more framing in that cavity, making more more of a thermal bridge. Which is super fascinating because I think as structural engineers, as designers of wood construction, we always know that the sheathing on the outside and the inside creates a boxed beam element. But many times we don't use that for any of our design instances. We're actually designing headers that are individual element pieces. So the fact that you guys have captured this boxed beam element and used it as efficiently as possible, I think is very fascinating and very forward thinking. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And it, it's really helpful because it's a little bit, it's definitely better than framed lumber for the values. It might be a little bit worse than LVL, but it's going adjacent to the bucking around the windows and adjacent to your top plate. So you get a little bit of extra height out of the header itself without having to cut into your top plate and strap over it. Okay. So it's, it's easier to install a taller header and do less custom details for it really. Gotcha. And so then you're able to use that taller height as well to get something that's a little more efficient. Yeah. So what's the structural strength of bamboo versus like a dug fir? Sure. So we have two species we're using now. And currently all the values in our code report are based on the lower species because we haven't tested out. Well, we've started testing out, but we haven't put it in the report yet. So the lower species has a stiffness that's a little bit less than dug fir, very similar to dug fir. But the higher grade species has a stiffness that's almost double dug fir. It's around three times 10 to the six PSI for the MOE. And I think dug fir is around 1.6, if I remember correctly. Maybe a little bit lower for different grades of dug fir. Okay. So you can get a lot more stiffness and, and strength. I don't know the strength characters offhand, but pretty much all of our values for our wall system depend heavily on the stiffness. We're fighting buckling 
for transverse values, we're really limited by the stiffness and not by the strength of the bamboo. Okay. So worst case scenario, it's as strong as Doug fir, which would be kind of a traditional, conventional, solid sawn material that would be used for stick framing. It also grows a lot faster, right? Yeah. So the sustainability is much better. Yeah. So that's another point that we really like. And it's not always as important to the, the end consumer or as important to the person purchasing the product, they're really more interested in the time savings on the, in the field and the, the thermal savings they can get. But for the embodied carbon side, you can get a lot more carbon out of the same amount of land over the same time period with bamboo. And when you're harvesting it, you're not clear cutting the material and killing off the plant. You're just intercutting the bamboo combs. So we harvest in the plantations we have in, in South America, we're harvesting one out of every five combs every year and then those regrow the next year because the way these bamboo species grow each culm's not its own organism they grow in a clump of multiple culms and they grow to full height i think in nine months and then it takes about five years before they reach their full hardness and, and structural capacities okay and what's full height i think it's 60 meters it's they're very tall okay yeah. That sounds too big. I might need to double check that 180 feet about. Okay. Yeah. They're definitely very large plants. So the, the species we use are all timber bamboo species and they're all semi-tropical. So they, they can't grow in areas that have frost. They might be able to grow in Texas and Florida. Um, there's some test plantations happening there, but they're all five or six inch diameter and half inch thick wall wall thickness on the comb. So it's not like the, the type of species we see in the United States generally. Okay. I think some places have moso or old hamii, which are similar, but they're a little bit smaller. Like if you've seen some of the bigger bamboo species in nursery, it's probably one of those two. Okay. So I think maybe for our listeners and for myself, I've seen like hardwood floors that are made out of bamboo. That's kind of something that's maybe a little more prevalent in our minds Yeah. is the panel that you are constructing for the outside face of the wall system, would that be similar to like a hardwood floor situation where it's engineered and pressed together? Yeah, it's similar. The hardwood floors are usually made out of moso out of China. Okay. And that has a really high Jenka hardness. So it's hard to dent, hard to, hard to break. And sometimes those are pressed under high heat and temperature and with lots of adhesive to make them extremely water repellent. Because a lot of times the flooring's not like a symmetrical layup. And if it takes on any moisture, it'll warp. Ours is a little bit different. We're using different species that have less Jenko hardness, but better stiffness and strength, bending stiffness and strength. And we're not adding as much pressure and heat or adhesive. So it's more like a kind of a glue. I'd compare it more to like a glue-on beam or maybe an LVL. It can still take on moisture and change a little bit, but it's, it's more like an engineered wood product. Gotcha. Very fascinating. And then on the inside face, I know us as designers are typically used to seeing like drywall or like a gypsum wallboard. Are you able to do that with the system? Or is, I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, is it also a, like a bamboo type of system on the inside face? We usually coat it with a paper finish. So it's like a light brown, similar to drywall paper. So a light MDO finish. And that just makes it easier to apply paint and tape and mud it and have it be a more consistent finish with less kind of less coats of paint. Because most of our clients don't care that it's bamboo and don't care to look at it. They really just want the speed 
of installation and then they're going to mud and paint anyways and you can you can eliminate gypsum on the surface itself unless there's a, a firewall or a fire requirement because then we still need to add gypsum okay but to be clear you are able to add gypsum to satisfy firewall requirements correct correct yeah we've tested we've tested firewall assemblies with gypsum okay well i really appreciate you taking some time to explain the system the bamcore wall system and now let's dive into this project a little bit so with this townhome project i believe it's located in utah right right it was for concord homes is that right yeah for concord homes okay so when were you contacted about this project let me give a little bit history about our company because it kind of ties into that we started our production of the panels in California and Windsor, California, where we used to ship in half columns of bamboo and just crush the bamboo flat and then plane it and then glue it into panels there. It was kind of a really manual operation, more of a startup operation. And then in 2019, we purchased a factory in Florida and switched the layup of our panels from having bamboo in the core, an inch of bamboo in the core, to having a quarter inch of bamboo on each face which helped the stiffness of the panel quite a bit. We made that switch. Initially, we didn't have the bamboo on the outside because when we crushed the bamboo, there was lots of fissures and cracks. Um, and then we switched the way we manufactured it, so it's more of a clean, finished surface. So that was in twenty, the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020. We were just starting the new factory and increasing our production and becoming more appealing to large builders because then they could get more of a product and kind of switch more of their buildings over to our product. So that's that's when we started talking to Concord Homes. This is kind of the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And then we did their first project, the garage workshop type building, out of our old panel layup, just so they could get a feel for putting the panels up and just do a really simple project. So that was about, yeah, so about three years ago now that we did, worked on that first project. Okay. And so were you contacted at that time? Was there already an engineer of record that was putting together drawings for this and you guys were a subconsultant of them or were they contacting you as engineer of record to do this? No, we never are the engineer of record on these projects. We're always having our clients use their own engineer of record. Okay. And it's usually a pretty quick switchover. I think on the first project, they just designed with us specifically and had an engineer design with us initially. On the other projects, the two-story with a basement and the townhouse projects, they actually had all of those designed out of wood already because it was part of their track building projects that they're doing. So then they had their engineer switch over some of their wood-built buildings to our system. That's usually pretty simple. Our out-to-out wall dimensions are eight inches because we have the five and a half inch cavity than a one and a quarter inch panel on each side. So it changes the floor plan a little bit. Usually they'll just keep the inside building dimensions and push the exterior wall out a little bit. And then for the detailing on the two-story with a basement project, I believe they just added an extra sheet in their plan set of BAMCOR details. So we, we gave them a set of standard details and then they selected some of them to put in an extra sheet and then just did dual references to their existing details and our specific details to show. They really didn't change their design at all and just had to reference some additional details and add some notes on what, what blocking scenarios they wanted to use and maybe 
some changed shear nailing in different places. Okay. So was there much coordination then between you guys at BAMCOR and the structural engineer of record to make that transition? Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely had a lot of calls with our structural engineer, Compass Engineering in Utah, where we kind of walked them through our code report, showed them the values. We did a, actually did a lot of calculations kind of showing what headers our headers were equivalent to so that they could swap them over more easily and, and generated some header span tables that we didn't have when we started with them. So now, now we have header span tables that are easier to use and kind of walk them through the blocking scenarios on how to decide what blockings to use where. Like on some of these projects, they had brick cladding on the outside, so they had to use the better blocking scenario that had a better transverse stiffness. Then where they had flexible finishes, they could use the, the further apart blocking spacing. Gotcha. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit too, but that was going to be my next question as far as what that process looks like to get one owner buy-in. I mean, there's lots of benefits, cost, time, all of those things, but also design engineer buy-in and then jurisdiction buy-in. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that process works and how you're able to kind of establish that trust and that belief in the system? Sure. Yeah. And when I started with the company, right before I started, we got our first product report, or the company got their first product report. But before that, they're doing everything without a product report and doing alternative means and methods for projects where the engineer record had to really be really confident in our capacities and kind of prove out our capacities based on some tests without that product report. But now that we have our product report with allowable values, that are signed off by that agency. It's really a fully code compliant project that shows equivalency to existing systems and and has all of the safety factors included on all of our allowable values already. It's really directly available for use. You can just reference the report and rely on those values. So it's, it's a lot easier, just like any other structural product where there's kind of a lot of support behind the product itself to give some level of confidence. So we haven't had issue with engineers wanting to use the product. I guess maybe on larger buildings, there's more questions and, and kind of more design thought that needs to go into it, where it takes a little bit more on the engineer record side to decide they want to use us because they, they already know all of the capacities for a wood-built system and know the systems they can use. But when switching the BAMCOR system, they might get close to the end of their design before they realize a value is not good enough, or or that's the fear, I guess. But really, our vertical capacities are better than a two by six stud wall, and our shear capacities are very close. And we're still testing out some of the shear capacities. They're about eighty-five percent of a double-sided shear wall with three-inch nail spacing right now. Gotcha. Well, and I think you touched on this perfectly. It needs to be stated too that the time and effort and cost associated with rechecking the design or incorporating something in design is so much less than the cost savings of implementation during construction. So, you know, a little bit of time and effort at the beginning saves a ton of money in construction, I think. So, yeah, definitely. And we've done a number of one-off projects on single-family homes, and they've seen savings on those as well, even where they're not getting to repeat the design or repeat the project, because the contractor can then complete more projects in a month or in a year if they're doing 
Like we have one contractor in Sonoma County who knows he can get at least two or three projects done in the time it would have taken him to do one project when he uses our system. So even if there's some savings, but really the real story is how much how much time he saves and how many additional projects he can do with that time. Sure. And as a professional, a design professional, just to kind of back up and talk about that a little bit. So we are designing to the IBC or the IRC if it's a residential construction project. If we are deviating from that code, there's a special section in the code that says anything that is a deviation or new or, you know, like a BAMCOR system, there has to be ES reports or an independent testing agency that is testing these systems and providing values. So for us, we love it when you can have that information because then it gives us the level of confidence to implement the system. Yeah. So like in the IBC, it says it just needs an accredited agency giving the values, which we have. And in the IRC, since we're not a system that's in the IRC, there's a part of the IRC that says an engineer can sign off that there's a system that's equivalent to or better than the systems in the IRC. Gotcha. So we've done at least two projects that were completely conventional projects to the IRC. They didn't originally have an engineer, but they hired an engineer to make that statement of the BAMCOR system's equivalent to or better than the system that this was designed with. And it can still be used to the, the conventional code or the IRC code. Okay. So for the River Run project, what was the scope of work for BAMCOR? Yeah, so we only make a wall product now, and we are doing all of the structural walls in that project and all of the firewalls. So it's a townhouse project, so a five-unit townhouse project. And they, they actually were going to design us into a four, a five, a six, and a seven-unit, but we've only done the five units so far. So all of the four common walls had BAM core. And then they decided to do the interior walls as stick framing, just because it's a little bit cheaper for the materials and because of the wall thicknesses, I think was the main reason. They were trying to figure out if there was a thinner system we could make that's non-load bearing. And we were kind of working on that, but haven't done it yet. Where if, if they could have a prefab system for the interior walls that was the same thickness as the existing interior walls, then they would have wanted to do that. And the project itself had a garage. The first floor is partial garage, partial living space. So there's a firewall between the garage and the living space on the first floor. And then the original project was a double wall, common wall. And that was two two by four walls with a total of four layers of gypsum. And we switched over to a single common wall of BAMCOR. So I had to jump up to a two hour fire assembly, but it actually saved the thickness, saved some thickness on the common wall because it went from a double two by four down to a, a single BAMCOR wall. So more floor space. <laughs> yeah. So they, they lost some floor space on the exterior walls and gained some floor space on that common wall. Very fascinating. So are you guys looking into a floor system at all? We are. There's a few different ideas. I think the main thing we're looking at is a mass timber option with a combination of bamboo and lumber, where we'd put bamboo on the exterior faces and lumber in the middle. Okay. We would do it that way. For two main reasons. One, bamboo's a little bit more expensive to us than lumber right now, just because we're building out the supply chain of bamboo and there isn't really places you can go to just buy what we're getting. We're having to work directly with plantations in other countries to get them to build out their supply. But also, 
our really high grade species of bamboo is a specific gravity of close to 0.65. So it's denser than wood, but it's, it's quite a bit stiffer than wood species. If you did it throughout the whole panel, you'd have a, a heavier assembly. But if you can use lower density wood species in the core and the stiffer, higher density species on the face, you can have a section equivalent to CLT sections that's lighter and thinner. Okay. Yep. Cross-laminated timber. Yeah. Cross-laminated timber. Right. So you can, by kind of optimizing where you put the denser material and, and the stiffer layers, you can end up with a thinner cross-section and a lighter cross-section for the same structural values. Okay. For our listeners that aren't structural engineers, the most, I guess, our areas of interest in structural design is the extreme members or the extreme fibers of our member. So if it's a floor system, that's the top and bottom. And in the middle, the forces are much less. The stresses are much less. So it reminds me a lot of a glue lamp beam, actually, where you put kind of the lighter, less enhanced material on the inside and then the stronger heavier material on the outsides of the panel. Yeah, yeah. And there's an equation. I forget the name of the equation, but for adding up the sum of all of your second moment of inertias for the individual sections, to add in the different sections, you're doing the area times the area times the distance from the centroid squared. So it's kind of like a, a squared times area factor. So the further you are a part, it's not a linear increase, it's like a, a squared increase. Yes, much more than just the, is it the parallel axis theorem? I think so, I think that's right. <laughs> Who knows where that came from? <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about the possibility of using a BAMCOR product in like a mid-rise construction. So the project that we're talking about is the River on Townhomes, two stories, residential type of project. Is there an option or are you guys looking into anything at kind of a mid-level, mid-rise type of building structure? Yeah, so we're testing out the higher grade species, which will give us increased vertical capacities, which we've been designed into some buildings that are five stories of wood with about 20 feet between walls, like a hotel or apartment type building that has the walls somewhat close together and then you can use our system as the full load bearing and shear. I think shear was really the limiting factor. Once you start getting to the taller buildings and have all of those accumulated shear loads, you just need to have more walls, walls in the mm-hmm. building to make it work. Okay. All right. So something that you're looking into. That's what I think is so cool. Like it's one of those things where to me it's new, but like you said, you've been working for BAMCOR for five years. So it's something that you're constantly developing and and new things that you're constantly developing, trying to be more sustainable, more environmentally friendly, you know, more energy efficient, cheaper, faster. And I think that's very commendable and great to be doing in this industry where we know we have a housing crisis. We know that we need to pay attention to global warming. So that's very commendable. Yeah. And I, I can talk a little bit about that for this project specifically, kind of how we've evolved the project itself working with this contractor. So a lot of the projects we did before the Concord Home Utah project were kind of one-off single-family residence projects where we weren't working with the same person every week or every month on an ongoing basis and kind of hearing their feedback and adding in different capabilities to make it easier for them to build. 
and also we were working with the same plan check department on a few different projects where they kind of said it's difficult to inspect these locations is there anything you can do to make it easier for us so we don't have to come out multiple times and maybe maybe just going through the order of operations or how you build with us would be helpful as well because you're using both panels for load bearing you have to install the walls both panels first and then install the floors and the roofs and dry it in before you can do the electrical plumbing and insulation. So usually you're doing the walls, doing the roof, drying it in, and then pulling electrical and plumbing and then doing blown in insulation after that. And a lot of times it's, it's easier and less costly to just schedule the inspector to come out once for structural, but with how our system was initially, the anchor bolts are already hidden in the wall cavity, so you can't see you can't see connections that are hidden between the two panels. So you're saying two panels, so that's the outside panel and the inside panel, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. So we started adding in inspection holes for all of our hold down connections and anchor bolt locations, so that instead of having to have an inspector come out after the bottom plate was down, before the panels are up, they're able to just come out once after all of that, those structural members are up because they can see, then see the anchor bolts and the hold down connections. Portholes on the inside panel. Yeah, actually a lot of the structural instruction holes are on the outside just to have less taping and mudding later, less things you have to hide later. Gotcha. Yeah, a lot of the structural ones are on the outside. And then we also have some portholes on the inside for the insulation blow-in. That has to happen after the outside has a a weather barrier and siding applied, or at least the weather barrier. We started doing inspection holes and providing the cover parts for those so that there's no cutting for those holes on site. Everything's done on the CNC, and then you have a tight-fitting plug to put in to just basically pop in and then screw on with one screw, and it's, it's finished. And we included that into our structural test as well. So when we tested out our new wall assembly, we put in three six-inch holes across the assembly itself. So even though we probably could have calculated how much strength reduction you have for adding holes in, we, we just decided to include it in the test itself because it really had a very small impact on the allowable values by adding in those extra holes. The engineers we were using, or they were using, didn't need the shear capacities we were giving them, the large double-sided nailing shear capacities, and they were used to installing hold down straps around the outside of the building, just floor to floor straps rather than a threaded rod between floors. And we didn't have that capability initially. So we decided to add shear testing where they only nailed one panel. They only nailed the exterior panel. And then we also tested additional hold down options like just putting a strap to the face of the panel itself with no lumber behind it, which worked well and, and calculated out really closely to just reducing the nail capacity by the, the embedment depth. So now we, we added that capacity for that project specifically, but it makes it more usable to other projects as well, where they can just do single-sided nailing and just do straps around the outside of the building. And they can do like force transfer around openings for windows with straps on the outside without hurting their interior finish. Gotcha. And so you're saying reducing the capacity is by the distance of embedment of the fastener. So similar to like a Simpson hanger, where you're going into a two-by material instead of a double two-by, you're using an inch and a half long nail, so you have to reduce the capacity by whatever it says. So you're doing something similar, so that way you don't have to have 
extra blocking, extra studs right behind where the strap is, correct? Right. Yeah, exactly that. Like in the NDS, you're supposed to have 10 diameter embedment to have full capacity as long as it's above, I think, four diameters. You can just reduce it by the embedment less than 10 diameters. And a lot of the straps, we use Simpson straps for the test, but a lot of the straps use either a, a 131 0.131 inch diameter or 0.148 inch diameter. So there's a little bit of reduction because we only have a one and a quarter inch thick panel. So there's a little bit less than 10 diameter embedment. So just reducing it by that ratio or adding more nails to get up to that capacity. Like I'm also seeing this as super fascinating because so a typical sheathing is going to, you know, sheathing that we're going to use on a stick framed building is going to be, you know, like a seven sixteenths inch panel. So it's a half inch thick and you're at an inch and a quarter. But you don't have to have as much blocking because you're able to use that inch and a quarter. If you are at a half inch thick panel, there's no way you could do the straps with just the panel because it wouldn't be thick enough. And then you're also getting that inch and a quarter for your header elements as well. So you're able to pull out all that interior stuff in the wall cavity. Yeah, that's I mean, we're always thinking about that. What can we do to not add more framing back into this wall? I guess I should mention that for our shear walls. We're doing a half lap between panels with some smaller nails. So you're not putting blocking between all of the sheathing connections. The panels are just nailed directly to each other. Okay, can you explain what you mean by half lap? A half lap. Like half lap. There's a one inch, one inch wide, five eighths inch thick, deep piece of the panel on each panel that overlap. Gotcha. Yeah, just basically half the thickness of the panels cut away so that they can overlap each other and nail directly to each other. Gotcha. So one panel goes underneath, the other panel goes over the top, and it's the same thickness as the overall panel. Right. Yeah. And so then there's just one nail line at all of the panel connections and no no blocking behind. All right. So what was the most fascinating thing for the River Run project? I guess just how excited everyone has been about using it and saving on on having to install stick frame lumber, getting away from stick frame lumber. All, all the framing contractors we've worked with have been apprehensive, but then kind of total buy-in of, of wanting to use something that's already pre-cut and they can just stand up and nail together. I mean, other than that, it's, it's a pretty straightforward project we were able to to add in some capabilities on our panel and test out some capabilities that we didn't have, kind of just learning how, how everyone wanted to build it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a, basically a straightforward project and we've just kind of been incrementally increasing the capabilities for our panel by, by testing out what they've wanted to see. Yeah, that's exciting too, right? To see it implemented on a large scale. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's that's the largest product we've done so far. So just seeing that it, the savings we've seen on solid, smaller scale projects also apply to larger scale and that we can build larger as well. So anything unexpected that came up? <laughs> I mean, we try to make everything really clear. We label every single panel with a number and our shop drawings show the exact locations and we have floor plans showing where the wall lines are. But we've had like a panel skipped and then they've had to kind of take walls apart and find that panel because they went from panel 103 to 105 and skipped <laughs> 104 for some reason, even though they were, it was in the same stack. We always palletize them in the order that they go up. So it's, it's kind of interesting when that happens. Or we had one installed upside down 
<laughs> that was just a full size panel, so it didn't actually change anything. They just left it upside down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that turned out to be okay then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just the uh, plumbing and mechanical was a little different. <laughs> yeah, I don't, that might have had some plumbing lines drawn on it that they just ignored. Okay. They riffed a little bit. <laughs> okay, so if you could give this project a theme song, what would it be? I mean, there was a lot of kind of buildup, a lot of planning on the front end. We spent extra time making sure the model was correct. Something that has kind of a slow buildup and then kind of a fast crescendo or fast finish at the end. Okay. I might not be able to think of a song right now, but... Are you an AWOL Nation fan? No, sorry. Okay. I don't know them. There's a song called I Am. That's just the first one that came to mind when you said a slow buildup. So it's called I Am, and it's like very slow at the beginning for like a really long time, and then it turns into a rager, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's how our projects, I think that's how any prefab system is, is you get your design teams on more calls initially and really really make sure your model's correct and spend a lot of time making sure there's no clashes and no questions ahead of time. And then when it gets to site, hopefully there's no on-site changes or no no site issues that have to get rethought. And and that I think that's true for us or for this project. We did spend a lot of time up front, and then there's only little things like inspection holes or mostly inspection holes. How to make that happen more quickly once it gets to site? Yeah. Okay. So this is the last question about the project, but it's just something that popped in my head. So. Someone else is doing the floor system. Was that interface pretty seamless? Like, was it tough to get buy-in from the supplier of the floor system and bearing on your wall system? So they, they didn't buy a prefab floor system. They did do site trusses, so that was fine. We had to, we had to coordinate with the truss people a little bit to make sure everything matched up. But the floor system was site-built, and they actually they had trouble getting the iJoyce as quickly as they're finishing the walls. So there's a little bit of a timing supply timeline issue where they're finishing the walls faster than they're getting the floors and that was delaying the project. Okay, fascinating. No, that's cool. I also love like one thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that you're able to use the same framing crews, the framing subcontractor that would be used for a traditional stick framed building Yeah, and just like their willingness to try something new and your willingness to teach them something new. That's super fascinating to me that we can kind of use the same team players, but teach people new things. Definitely. And I mean, that's been our goal. Like some other prefab systems, you need a new crew or a new trade to install them. And actually our, our system used to have metal splices between the panels and a metal track for the top and bottom plate. And that's one of the first things I helped try to change when I started is getting this closer to standard wood framing details so it's easier to install and, and matches matches architectural and engineering details. And then also you can just use a nail gun to do all of the connections and install it quickly. Good move, good move. <laughs> all right, Nick, how do you recharge? At work, I really like hitting different different types of tasks it can kind of be a slog if you're doing the same thing day in and day out. And that's true when I was a design engineer too. If you're just doing plans or just doing reviewing shop drawings for like two weeks at a time, it gets hard to focus after a while. So I was like when there's kind of site visits interrupting your normal workflow or you can switch from reviewing shop drawings to doing new plans or doing details or doing kind of building out new calculation sets. That's just 
some variations helpful. And then outside of work, I've I have four kids and we go on hikes and walks and yeah. But I mean, I think the for me the most important thing is having variation work. What I do at Bamcore now is I'm I'm helping some with product development and planning out testing and doing some calculations for our product. But then I also get to talk to engineers and architects about our product and sometimes go on site visits and go to trade shows and things like that and talk to our sales team and work with different parts of the company, I think is re-energizing. Yeah, I love that, right? It's like doing the aggregate smaller stuff, but then also big picture stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, Nick. Well, thanks so much for being here and for talking about the BAM Core Wall System with us. This has been very informative. I have learned a lot. I think the listeners have learned a lot. And I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm glad we could talk today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from Within the Walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.